Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's close Psalms, not 23, but Psalms 32. So just switch to those numbers, and you'll, you'll find it in your Bible. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, and we'll be turning to Psalm 32, Psalm 32. Uh, really excited to be here. I'm so blessed. Uh, you know, we, we came to Illinois about four years ago, originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, we just love this church. We love the boldness. We love its faithfulness. And just the community. I mean, we have been here a short time. We've already made fantastic uh, friendships that I believe are going to continue to grow and thrive. And one thing I love about this church is this church desires to hear the Word of God preached, expounded, and applied. You don't want entertainment. We haven't come here to entertain the gullible, but to proclaim the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 32, and we'll be reading it in its entirety. This is God's perfect, holy, inspired Word. Psalms 32, I'm a skill of David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the Psalms, such an amazing book, a book that describes everything we cannot. So I pray today as we go in this text, we want nothing more than just to hear your word, to hear your word proclaimed and not edited, to expound and not to explain anything away. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now and you would Help me, a broken vessel, to preach your word and help the hearers today to hear your word. Help us today to live out this beautiful, powerful, life-changing text. 
and we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? Amen. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is Covered. There are two people in this life that will attempt to cover your sin. One will be unsuccessful, but one will be perfectly successful. One will attempt to cover your sin, will attempt to try to cover your sin by denying the truth, the other by facing it. One will attempt to try to cover your sin by suppressing the truth, by suppressing the sin, the other by bearing it. One will bring condemnation, the other liberation. One will bring sorrow upon sorrow, but the other joy upon joy. One will lead you to the path of hell, and one will lead you to the path of heaven. These two people are you and God. And depending on which choice we take this morning, on judgment day, our sins will either be covered by the Lord Jesus Christ or every sin will be counted. That's what Psalms 32 teaches. There's two distinctions. Your sins will either be covered or counted. Today we will look at the two results of covering sin. One from an omnipotent and loving God, and the other yourself. And today guilt is suppressed, it's denied, it's even vigorously and categorically rejected. Nothing is no longer personal responsibility. We're always a victim of society, a victim of outward forces. And this psalm just says that is not even a reality. To pull the veil off our eyes, there's two results. Either our sins are covered by the Lord Jesus Christ or they will be counted because we're trying to take responsibility for them on our own. But today what we see in the text is guilt, no matter how much we dismiss it, no matter how much we deny it, the stain is too deep. Do you know that this morning? That the cause of stain, the the stain of sin is all too deep. It's priced too great. Its scar cannot be hidden. And today the psalmist joyfully tells us how to remove the stain, how to have the price paid for, and how the scar can be something that we can glorify God for. The psalmist, David, will show us repentance. That's what I want to talk to you today about repentance, for we all need repentance. John Calvin said, quote, repentance is nothing else but a reformation of the whole life according to God's law. So the church needs a reformation today because the church today needs repentance. Amen. Amen. We need a reformation for reformation is repentance. One preacher said that the church can do many things after she repents but nothing until she repents. And the church has been stilled, stifled, and paralyzed because we have refused to look in the mirror of the law and repent and to do that which God requires. So depending on where you're at this morning, there's going to be two different responses to the sermon. It depends where you're at this very moment. And one does not make you less of a man or more of a man, but indicates that you are a man in the need of God's constant grace. For those who are in a tender place following the Lord, this text is going to remind you the sweetness of forgiveness, the blessedness of forgiveness, the joy of forgiveness, the glee of forgiveness, and the awful bitterness of sin. And I pray it brings hidden faults before our eyes to stay in a constant place of the pursuit of holiness, of the pursuit of repentance. 
But for a man at a different stage, this text will bring you before the judgment seat of Christ. And it will ask you, what will you do with your guilt? And if you're in a place of unrepentant sin, this psalm will put you right before the judgment seat and you might be uncomfortable this morning. And we praise God for that. I'm glad I'm at a church when Jared preaches as I get uncomfortable. I'm glad that God's loving arrows pierce my heart so that I can go from death to life, from condemnation to liberation. To understand my identity in Christ. For those in Christ this morning, but perhaps are an unrepentant sin, you are justified by grace through faith, by the blood of the cross, by the blood of Jesus on the cross, but you might currently have quenched the Spirit of God. And today we want to call you to come back home to repent. And I pray this very morning that God would have his way in both for the difference in heaven and hell is repentance. The need of repentance is that make you more or less of a man, but listen closely, staying in unrepentant sin will keep you from being the man and the woman God has called you to be. Staying in unrepentant sin is the path to hell. And although Luther was not yet converted, I agree with his first of 95 theses that, quote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, Matthew chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. What we're going to see in this psalm, if our life is not categorized by repenting, it is default categorized by rebelling. It's one or the other. It's either a life that's birthed out of repenting over and over and over, or it's a life categorized by rebelling. And you're going to need your Bible this morning. Have your Bibles open to Psalms 32. And we're going to be in this wonderful book, the book of Psalms. Martin Luther called this book a little Bible, for it summarizes every doctrine, all of redemption history most beautifully and briefly. And we'll see in this text, it does summarize repentance most beautifully and briefly. So I want to turn your attention to Psalms chapter 32, verses 1 through 2. And the first thing I want to highlight is David's joy. David is kind of working backwards, and we might discover why he does that. But the first thing David wants to show us is the joy of repentance. So let's look at David's joy in verses 1 through 2. Let's read it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against the Lord, counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. David turns our attention to joy. And what David wants to show us is David's blessedness is all repentant men's blessedness. In, in other words, happiness is found in God. John Calvin said, quote, while all men seek happiness, scarcely one in a hundred looks for it from God. And what I want to say today is let's be the one. Amen. Let's seek the happiness that the reality that all of my sins have been forgiven. That is a true reality of joy. And David wants us to see that this morning. Today, we need to look at the unspeakable joy of the forgiveness of sins. Joy, that is blessed, meaning happy. And what this text talks about is real, 
down-to-earth happiness. It's not theoretical joy floating out there. And I don't know why, but in the church, we get really spiritual with our noses up high, and we go, oh, no, 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 no. Joy does not mean joy. Joy does not mean joy. Joy is some theoretical thing floating out there where you're just acknowledging that repentance is good. No, David is using a word that means real experiential joy, that if you understand this morning that all of your sins have been forgiven, you should be the most joyful people in the world. Amen? Amen. This is the forgiveness of sins, that all of my wrongs have been placed on Christ and all of his righteousness has been placed on me. David is trying to show us the utter joy of the forgiveness of sins. And for whatever reason, we want to divorce what God has joyfully wedded together. We try to divorce holiness and happiness. It's what we do. And God says, no, I have married these things in holy matrimony, holiness and happiness. And what I want to describe to you in this text is not just one happiness or two, or one way we can put it, it's not just one or two glees. And I love this text. It's such an amazing text. The text is actually in the plural. So when we see the word blessed in here, twice in the text, it says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And the Hebrew is actually plural. So we could say, oh, the joys of being forgiven. David is trying to say, this isn't just one glees or two glees. It's a legion of glees in the best sort of way. It's never ending, overflowing, never ceasing joy. And David is trying to draw us in. He's working backwards. And there's a reason he's working backwards. Let's see what that is. But before we get there, I think there's a question we must ask. There's this amazing joy in Psalms 32. Who has this joy? Look at your Bible. Who has the joy that we speak of? And to our surprise, it is not the faithful one, but the faithless one. This is how scandalous the gospel is. It is not the law keeper, but the law breaker. And when I read this text, my mind immediately goes to Psalms 1 and just sees the stark contrast. Psalms 1, blessed is the man who what? Essentially is the law keeper. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And I'm praying, like, how do we harmonize these two texts? And I think Charles Spurgeon does it well. Charles Spurgeon says of Psalms 1 and Psalms 32, quote, the first psalm describes the result of holy blessedness. The key word is result. This really helps me harmonize these texts. The first psalm, Psalms 1, is the result of holy blessedness. The 32nd details the cause of it. The first pictures the tree in full growth. Psalms 1 says, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of living water. It's the tree in full growth. But Spurgeon says that in this psalm, it depicts its first planting and watering. He who in the first psalm is the reader of God's book is here a suppliant at God's throne, accepted and heard. So what this text says is what the gospel does. It takes the worst of men, the absolute worst of men, and makes them the happiest of men. This is what the gospel does. 
no matter what you've done, no matter how much treason you've committed against God Almighty, this psalm is teaching repentance and faith takes the worst of men and makes them the happiest of men. That God can take a murderer and an adulterer like David and make him a child of the living God. And what we see is a gospel preached rightly will make people say, well, why don't we just continue in sin? Paul had to address this in Romans chapters 5 and 6. He preached the gospel so good, so great, so unimaginable, people misunderstood it because it's a God who forgives every one of your sins. David is drawing us in to show us the sweetness of forgiveness. However, we see David is at the very peak of joy because he's been at the very bottom of the valley of sorrow. And as we enter this valley, perhaps you will understand why David starts with joy, because this valley is so deep and so dark. It's almost as if David starts with the joy saying, it's worth going there. You need to hear that this morning, that repentance is not a casual, trivial thing. And David is saying, it's worth it. So we've seen the peak of joy, but it's because he's been to the very bottom of the valley of sorrow. What I want to point out is in this text, we see four separate Hebrew words for sin. So David does not have a minimal, mere Christianity, little tiny look at sin. David describes it vastly. So let's look at verse 1 again and put emphasis on those four words. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. David has godly joy because he's had godly sorrow. And we could spend our whole time on these four words, but I just want to describe them briefly. David knew he transgressed. That is, David knew he crossed the line. That some sins we do unmistakably, but to transgress means to make open treason against God himself. David knew he transgressed. David knew he sinned, which literally means to miss the mark, to fall short of the glory of God. David knew he committed iniquity. He stained his soul. He marred the image of God upon his life. You could translate it, he depraved himself. And David knew he committed deceit. He blinded his eyes. He deceived himself. So we see deep joy comes from a deep knowledge of sin. There was a preacher named J. Wilbur Chapman who, stole, who told a story of a preacher in Australia, in Australia who regularly preached against sin. And one of his church members came up to him and he said, we want you to stop preaching so plainly about sin. Our children are in the service, and call it whatever you will, but stop speaking, stop preaching, stop proclaiming so plainly about sin. Plainly about sin, I suppose like David does here in the text. So what does the preacher do? The preacher is sitting at his desk studying for his next sermon, preaching against sin, and he leaves that man without saying a word. He rushes to a closet and he pulls out a bottle and he puts that bottle on the table and the label says rat poison. And then he says, why don't we change the label? Let's just change it to rat repellent. 
And the church member is just sitting silent before his desk. And then he says, oh, I know there's an essence of peppermint to draw the rats. Let's just change the label to smells like peppermint. And the man is just silent before him. And the pastor said, the milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. And sin has become ever more deadly, ever more dangerous, not because it's growing, but because we have changed the label. And today, true repentance is calling sin, sin, saying it's poison, saying it's death, saying that it's eternal separation from God. 21,570 murders happened last year. And they can say that without blushing because we have changed the label from abortion to murder, from murder to abortion. And this is going to happen in our city. And it breaks me with tears. And in our nation, we have changed the label from murder to abortion. And people have deceived their eyes. And if you don't think diminishing sin is that big of a deal, tell that to the 62 million precious little ones that have been slain in our nation. The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. And it's not just with abortion or murder. It's in our very homes because when we diminish sin, we make ever more dangerous the poison. And our children are watching us. And when we're selfish, and when we're prideful, and when we're impatient, and we just say we're having a bad day or we had a long day at work, we're changing the label. The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. And David, for a long time, changed the label. He didn't call his sin, sin. So we must not cover up our sins. And I believe today we have trivialized our sin. We've trivialized repentance. I believe there's a reason that God has to grant repentance. That's not just an opinion. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. It says, so perhaps God may grant them repentance. C.S. Lewis said, quote, now repentance is no fun at all. Something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we've been training ourselves into for thousands of years. David's godly joy comes from godly sorrow. And we see that deep, painful, dark sorrow in verses 3 through 4. Let's read verse 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Selah was most likely a moment of pause in the singing, so we too must pause and contemplate this text. You'll note in the text, David is admitting his open rebellion. He said, I kept silent. David was not repenting, but rebelling, suppressing his sin, Suppressing his guilt, suppressing his adultery, suppressing his murder, suppressing treason against God. 
And what we see in this text, although he was silent, spiritually speaking, it was screaming out his pride. And that's probably the biggest problem when we are in unrepentant sin. We think it's a silent thing because no one can see it and no one notices it. But what we see is although David was silent, although David was secret, God heard a loud, defiant scream in heaven, I am my own God. And we see God took notice. David at this point has become completely undone. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David's spiritual discipline led to physical discipline, weakness, fragility. Listen to this. The man who once slayed his 10,000s, this scribe is so weak in this text. It's as if people are trying to help David out of his bed. This was a man leading army, slaying his 10,000s. And this text describes him as so weak, he can't even get out of his own bed. And this teaches us God does not care the, statue, the stature of a man. God will bring him down. Listen, for God chastises those he loves. And we often lie to ourselves. God, look at all my accolades, achievements, and awards. And we think that is somehow a buffer or a guardrail where God won't bring us down because we are too important. And God says, no, I chastise those I love and all your accolades and achievements and awards in front of me are but filthy rags. I will bring you down. And he brings David down. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. A drought has come upon David's life, and a heavy hand was upon him, that hand of the preaching of the law. And this text most likely refers to when David committed adultery and then murdered the person that she was married to. And we see a heavy hand, the hand that I believe this psalm describes in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Nathan bringing the heavy hand of the law. And it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew it up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had came to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what's evil in this sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife 
to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this saying before all of Israel and before the son. We need the heavy hand of the law on our preaching. For it's the heavy hand of the law that brought David to repentance. We'll see that in the text. Praise God. But there are many churches today who refuse to bring the heavy hand of the law. And they not only steal your money, they steal your joy. Because they pacify you in your sin and they steal the joy of the forgiveness of all your sins. And perhaps the silent sin of our generation is preachers are willing to expound the text, but not to be like Nathan who say, you are the man. Because unless we're willing to say, you are the man, that man will not change. That man will not repent and that man will not believe. That man will not lead his home and he will not be the husband he is called to be. The silent sin of our generation, our preachers are willing to expound the text, but not willing to say, you are the man. Let us not sacrifice the joy of the congregation because we foolishly think that if we bring God's law, it will cause people to leave. If they do, it is because of what is described in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And we need preaching that brings God's heavy hand, the law. John Calvin said, quote, peace is not to be purchased by sacrifice of truth. So let us not sacrifice truth, for that is a false peace. So we see a heavy hand. We see a heavy hand that reminds us of the Greek myth Atlas, who is sentenced to carry the entire world on his shoulders. And David is feeling this weight. His bones are breaking. They're wasting away. He's in a drought from the heat of summer. And it seems as if this entire weight is about to crush him. Immediately that weight is lifted. Because what we see in this text in verse 5 is David's repentance. David's repentance. When all this weight comes, when the heavy hand of the law comes, David is pierced to the heart. And now we see David repenting. Verse five, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. This is true repentance. David is no longer denying. He's no longer suppressing. He's no longer covering it up. He is acknowledging his sin. And what is happening here is described well in our confession, the London Baptist Confession. It says, this saving repentance is a evangelical grace whereby a person being by the Holy Spirit made sensible of the manifold evils of his sin, doth by faith in Christ humble himself forth with godly sorrow, testation of it and self-abhorrency, praying for pardon and strength of grace with a purpose and endeavor by the supplies of the Spirit to walk before God unto all well-pleasing in all things. 
It says it well in our catechism. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner out of the true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. That we see in this text, David is struck to the heart. He is stricken with fear of the reality that the full wrath of God should come upon David. And at the very same time, repentance is having faith that same God is willing to forgive you of all your sins. So we see by David uncovering his sin, it is now covered by God himself. Luther said, quote, the only difference between the holy and the unholy is this, and I pray you listen closely, the sins of the unholy are not covered but counted. Is that you this day? On judgment day, Luther says that the unholy, their sins will not be covered, but every sin will be counted against them. The only difference between the holy and the unholy is this. The sins of the unholy are not covered but counted. And the sins of the holy are not counted but covered. That is the joy we have this morning, that all our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we see just that in the text. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And listen, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. He forgave. The word forgave in this Hebrew, it literally means the lifting of a weight. It's like Atlas. The whole world, all the condemnation was upon his shoulders. And the moment he looks to Christ, instantly that weight has been immediately lifted and taken off the shoulders of David and put on the shoulders of Christ. And now we see a forgiven man. And we've seen David's joy and David's sorrow, and David's repentance. And now we see a forgiven and changed man, and we see David's plea in verses 6 through 7. Therefore, David, as a forgiven man, as a changed man, comes into the pulpit to give a testimony of the forgiveness of sins. And he is pleading with those who are like David, who look good on the outside, but are inside full of dead men's bones. And he pleads with us. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is David's plea. And it's my plea to not wait to Repents. The text interestingly says, because in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. David is showing that there's urgency in repentance. One of the greatest lies that we believe is that we can just repent at any time. I hope you see from this text that repentance is such a deep, sorrowful work. It is only a work that can be given by God. And perhaps some of you are like me, you, you have a hard time with these texts that seem like there's a time when you can't because you know you're chosen by God. And I think Thomas Watson does well in explaining this. On this text, he says, there be seasons which, if taken sweet actions, an open door for their better entertainment. He quotes Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken. In other words, a word spoken at the right time is like apples of gold, and pitchers of silver. 
And Thomas Watson says, quote, there are times if we have wisdom to discern them when prayer will be seasonable, acceptable, and effectual. David is saying today is the day of salvation. Seek God while he may be found. God has ordained all things by the counsel of his will, but the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And David is showing us urgency in this text. Do not wait any longer. This is the time to treat your family right. This is the time to treat your spouse right. This is the time to stop suppressing, to stop covering and uncover who you are, to wrestle with God and to lose like Jacob and say, I'm Jacob, I'm a thief, I'm a deceiver, and to win through defeat. This is David's plea, and it's my plea, turn to Christ. And now we see David's wisdom. And I love this text because I think it gives such clarity to repentance. And I I don't want to be confusing. I think often we put repentance too much on the outside works. And repentance will have fruit. John the Baptist said, have repentance, uh, have fruit, meet with repentance. Repentance will have fruit. But what David says here is so powerful, and I think we should really hear this wisdom, and wisdom it is. Listen to what he says. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with a bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. I believe what David is saying here, there is a repentance that needs to be repented of. So let's look at this picture. David is describing a beast, an animal, that is on the straight and narrow. So from outward appearances, he is entering through the narrow gate. But here is the problem. The pain is in the wrong place. The pain of repentance is the sword of God's spirit piercing the heart. But this beast of an animal, the pain is in his mouth. It's in the immediate consequence. And as soon as that bit and brittle are removed, that beast of an animal will go wherever its heart desires. And this is the truth of the church, that there are people we loved and we thought were of the faith, but it seems more the outward circumstances and outward things were causing him to be in the church. And David says, don't just think outward actions show true repentance. And it seems that what David is saying is that the heart always trails the actions. That the actions might go down the straight and narrow for a while, but unless there's true heart change, the heart will eventually lead the action. That out of the heart comes all these evil things, murder, sexual morality, but oftentimes the heart trails behind the actions. It's like a ship when you turn the helm east. The ship might go west and it might take longer, but the ship will eventually turn with the helm. So let me ask you this question. Are you living the straight and narrow? Are you on the pursuit of holiness because of immediate consequences? Or like David, you say, God, let me store your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That's the desire David wants, a true change of heart. There is an appearance of godliness that denies his power. 
So in this place, we can have the appearance of godliness, but unless there's the change of heart, we're like an animal with just a bit and a brittle. Being directed by something other than Christ, because Christ does not rule with a bit. He rules from your heart. His throne is in your heart. And David says we can have the appearance of repentance. And David says that repentance needs to be repented of because it's no repentance at all. So where is your heart this morning? And what does this wisdom bring? Something we can practice in the very next part of our worship. Let's look at the last verse, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. That, that's easy application. What I want you to do this morning, I want you to be glad that all your sins are forgiven. That although you've done many wrongs, Christ has made them all right. As Charles Spurgeon said, he has made your hell in the heaven. That's what I want you to do, to be glad this morning and rejoice, O righteous. And we pray for our Presbyterians, uh, Presbyterian friends to repent because it says, shout for joy. expressional Christianity, that this inward change creates outward emotion. He says, shout for joy. Amen. That although our worship here is powerful, we, it's okay to be expressional, amen? amen? And I'm glad I'm in a church where I feel it has such a great balance of, of reform, doctrinally sound worship, but also expressional worship. I love it. I, I grew up... Pentecostal, so maybe I'm a Baptist, I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm a little loud. But I, I love the, the structure and the order. But I also love that we can express ourselves in freedom. Amen? Amen. True repentance is going to lead in shouts, not out of obligation or command, but just because we can't help it. Amen? We can't help but thank the Lord. We can't help but praise Him. We can't help but magnify Him. We can't help but glorify Him. We can't help but be glad. And if you're in the slums this morning, meditate on the fact that all, listen, all of your sins have been forgiven. All you upright in heart. But the text also says in verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. There's a contrast there. Where are you this morning? Are you sorrowful for one of two reasons? Number one, because you are still in your sins, then come to Christ this very day? Or are you sorrowful because you're in unrepentant sin as a Christian? And God is calling us home today. He has shown us the joy of repentance. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So may we be glad, rejoice, shout for joy, because for the repentant man, all your sins are covered. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.